Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to another exciting episode. We got some great stuff for you today. We're going to talk some Kyrie Irving and his future, the Stanley Cup Finals, the NBA Draft, a segment on Stephen Curry, and I have a new concept of a segment that I'm going to introduce at the end of the podcast, so please stay tuned for that. I'm really excited and looking forward to bringing this to you guys. Without further ado, this is episode 30 of the Box Score Sports Podcast. All right, all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. This is the 30th episode. We're into the third decade episode-wise. Obviously, we're not into the 30th year of box score sports. My OGs know that. I'm really excited. This is a different episode. I'm coming at it with a different approach, and I'm really looking forward to giving you guys some fun content. So let's get into it. To start things off, I want to touch on Kyrie Irving. He has until June 29th to act on his player option contract of $36.9 million. Now, for those that don't know what a player option is, essentially the franchise gives the player the choice as to whether or not they want to add an extension to their current contract. Kind of somewhat similar to what Aaron Donald did for the Rams, but not quite. It's a very common thing in the NBA. Um, so just to give you a quick background, and you can look up what it is online if you want a more detailed description, but that's essentially my understanding of it. I don't know how I feel about this because of his situation. I mean, there's so many things to take into account here with Kyrie. Because when it comes to him, more than the average player, you have to worry about what goes on off the court. Is he a liability on your roster? That's the big question here. We all know what his capabilities are, but it's his accountability and his reliability that's in question. I mean, you look at, for example... This is just something I saw on Instagram, I think, the other day. Kevin Looney, this season, played more games than Kyrie has in his last three seasons in Brooklyn. Kyrie has missed 123 games in three years. And he's played even less than that. That's horrible. When it comes to looking at a contract or a player option, I don't think... As the Brooklyn Nets, how can you look at him and be guaranteed anything? Obviously, nothing is guaranteed. You sign the contract for any player in hopes that it's going to be successful. You don't know whether or not they'll get injured. You don't know whether or not it won't work out and you trade them in a year. You just don't know. But overall, when it comes to signing a contract, most of it is based on hopes and dreams. But a lot of it is fortified based on what they've shown you from time to time. You look at the three contracts Kyrie has signed. 
You look at the first one, his rookie contract he signed with the Cavaliers. Then you look at his extension with the Cavaliers. And then you look at the one he signed with the Nets. It increasingly got more and more because of his production. He was known as one of the top players in the league. And I'm not saying that he's not. When it comes to on-the-court basketball, I think Stephen A. Smith said it best. He is box office. He's not just a superstar. He is box office. There are people that will pay to see that man no matter what. But the problem is, will he be on the court when they get there? They pay to see him. Will he even be there? That's the big question here. It's already somewhat a known fact that his commitment to the sport of basketball is in the is up in the air. It's in question. He's already come out and acknowledged that even things as simple as his religion with Islam, he converted to Islam. He takes many things more serious than he takes the sport of basketball. He's not the biggest guy when it comes to committing to the sport. Now, don't get me wrong. On court, he's one of the best in the league and all time. Like I said, box office. He's beyond superstar. Box office. But is that box office talent enough to overshadow everything else? That is my question to you. Does his production outweigh his liabilities? Simple as that. Now, next, I want to go over some potential landing spots because Kyrie did come out and say that he may accept the player option but is going to request a trade and has actually discussed some teams that he would be looking to land on. You have the Lakers, which I just don't really see working. They would have to give up too much, whether it be players or picks or cap space to make it happen. I just don't see it happening. Next, you have the Clippers. It's more realistic, but again, I don't know how much it's something that they need. I don't know if it's a direction that they'd be willing to go or looking to go in. I I don't fully understand. I don't know what their cap situation is, so that one I'm just not too sure on. The Knicks, I guess it makes sense. You know, it's still New York. It's a team that's young, talented, and got room to grow, but on the upcoming. I also mentioned the Miami Heat. That, I don't know about that one. I feel like you'd have to give up probably Tyler Hero, another younger player, and a pick or two. And that's just, I don't think that's worth it, to be honest, to get 40 games of Kyrie. You know, but when he plays, that team's unstoppable. Uh, The Mavericks over there with Luka Doncic, that team might be a finals team if that's the case. You pair up, they already were conference finals, so just saying. And then lastly, the 76ers. I think I get it. I think I see it. I could see how it would work out, you know. They're really not eating up too much cap space. Their only notable, notable player being Joel Embiid. Everybody else is kind of... Some of them are just above the role, player role, if you will. I think it should be interesting. It could be interesting. And they could definitely use a better guard presence. Tyrese Maxey's not too bad. They do have Harden, but I don't know. Harden hasn't really been himself, and would Kyrie and Harden mesh well again? I know we didn't see a whole lot of it in Brooklyn, but do we know how well that would really work? I don't really know. So looking at those teams, a handful of them put him in a situation to where he would be looking at playoff contenders. But then you look at teams like the Knicks. 
or the Lakers that didn't even make the playoffs. And the Clippers weren't that good. I I understand Kawhi was out for the year, you know, so that definitely had an impact. But to me, it just doesn't make sense for him to want to go from a team that could be championship caliber and take a step back onto teams that aren't quite on that level. I would think that he would want to stay with teams that are in a win-now mode, but I don't really know. It's really very difficult to try and understand what goes through Kyrie's mind, to be completely honest. It really is, because a lot of the stuff that he does, I'm blown. makes no sense to me. But you look at the team that he's on now, the Brooklyn Nets. If you give me a healthy Nets roster, I think that they're still pretty good despite what we saw this year I think you give me a healthy Nets roster and I don't just mean physically I mean emotionally mentally chemistry healthy in all those categories the Nets are dangerous they really are so I don't know I really don't know if I see him going to any specific team Kyrie's a very particular person, especially because of his outside life from the sport. As much as I can appreciate a lot of the things that he does, standing up for his community and his culture and his beliefs, I can appreciate that. Because if you were to ask like a young NBA player right now, I guarantee you that a lot of the pressure they get from the media and the fan base and overall just the community of the professional sport They feel the pressure to make certain decisions, almost peer pressured into making certain decisions rather than thinking for themselves. So that's one thing that I can give Kyrie kudos on is he thinks for himself. He does for himself. But is that enough to get him a 30 some million dollar contract? I don't think so. I think he wants too much money. That's just me. What you're getting out of him, I don't think it's worth the money. Plain and simple. My last question before we move on. If they do choose to move Kyrie, if they get rid of him, put him somewhere else, he turns down the player option, blah, blah, blah. What is Kevin Durant going to do? I don't think he stays in Brooklyn. I don't know where he goes, but I don't see him staying in Brooklyn. I know he was a big warranter to bringing Kyrie to Brooklyn. And... When they both play together, they seem to play well. They have a decent chemistry. So, I personally think that what happens with Kyrie will shape and form the history of the Nets, or at least the next decade or so of the Nets' future. Moving on to the Stanley Cup Finals. Colorado Avalanche... Tampa Bay Lightning. Wednesday night, Colorado took it in overtime to take a 3-1 series lead on the two-time reigning champions off of a, as I mentioned, overtime goal from Nazem Kadri. It was a beauty of a goal. If you happened to see it anywhere in the morning or you were watching the game, it was a nice move. It was great. And it was big for him because he's been out for over two weeks on a surgery for his thumb. First game back, comes back, game winner. It's just, if you ask me, it looks like it's meant to be for Colorado. They're just playing really well. 
Now, Vasilevsky, I don't really know what the deal is here. You think about how many times people are making the argument that he's the best goalie in the league, right? He hasn't been showing it lately, you know? And this is not what we're used to seeing from him. 16 goals against in four games from arguably the league's best goalie? Absolutely not. It's incredibly unusual. I'll, I'll say that. We are not used to seeing this type of play from Vassie. I'm not saying that he didn't have a great season, but I don't know what's going on here. You know, we've seen this product productivity out of him for the last couple of years, but where is it now when it matters most? Now, my question is, is it his fault or is it the lack of defense and pressure being put on Colorado when they're in the offensive zone? That's the question at hand here. It's hard to see, honestly, because there are a handful of goals that are just straight up Vasilevsky's fault. I think last night's overtime goal by Kadri was Tampa's fault. You saw them making the change. Tampa decided to make the change as the puck was starting to enter the neutral zone. And they were shorthanded. Nazem Kadri got the advantage, split the gap, and had a breakaway. Read the play better, and you cut that off, make it, you stop it from happening. Just saying. So there's a little quick question there. Was it a defensive mistake? Was it, is it Vasilevsky's mistake? And in terms of all the goals been scored, 14 in four games, 16 in four games, sorry. I think that's my biggest question here. Are we looking at the defense or are we looking at Vasilevsky? Because I've seen a good portion of them that are on Vasilevsky, I'm going to say Vasilevsky. Especially since we're used to seeing a lot better play from him. Not saying he doesn't make great saves and play well still right now. I just think that we're seeing some questionable plays that we've seen better out of him. And I think in order to win this series, we're going to have to see better. No more than two goals. That's maximum kind of thing. So, other than game three, Tampa's offense has not been very productive. They scored three goals... Zero goals, six goals, three goals. Whereas Colorado scored four, seven, two, four. And I'm sorry, it was three last night and two for the Tampa. So I don't know. One thing I do want to talk about here is despite Colorado's success, Nathan McKinnon has been pretty quiet. On 22 shots, he only has one goal. And he only has three points through four games, two assists. Most would probably argue that he's the best player on the team. I can't say I wouldn't agree. Between him and Makar, Makar has been playing fantastic this postseason. He really has. And all season, obviously, as well. Kale Makar is going to be special. He really is. And I personally think that a lot of the reason that Colorado has the lead in the series is because of their defense more than their goaltending or their offense. Obviously, the game they won 7-0 to is a big deal, but I think that their defense has been one of the major impacts in this series. But I guess we'll see. 
3-1 to one, Colorado. Can they finish it in Game 5, or will it go to Game 6, or maybe even 7? It's up to Tampa Bay and Vasilevsky to get it done. So, only time will tell. Moving on to the next story. I want to go into a little detail. Now that they've had their championship parade and we've let it all marinate, I want to talk about Stephen Curry. And I want to really talk about him here. I'm going to spring the question as if I'm asking it to myself, and then I'm going to proceed to answer it with my opinion, but I genuinely would like to hear where y'all stand on this question and how you would answer it. Question is, does this ring and finals MVP make enough of an argument to put Stephen Curry into the top 10 all time? My answer is no. Top 15? Absolutely. But top 10? I can't give it to him. Here's why. Looking at all-time scoring, he is 47th on that list. 47th in all-time scoring. He's not even in the top 50 in assists all-time. He's 56. As a point guard, may I add, Here's where my problem lies. I'm going to give you my top 10 all-time NBA players in no specific order. I'm going to say that one more time. I'm going to give you my top 10 all-time in no specific order. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Shaquille O'Neal, Wilt Chamberlain, Tim Duncan, Dirk Nowitzki, Magic Johnson, and Hakeem Olajuwon. Not one name on that list am I willing to take off to add Stephen Curry. I just don't think he's done enough yet. One thing that I think a lot of people are getting a little bit too comfortable with is because he's the greatest shooter of all time, it gives him a little bit more legacy than I think it should. Now, do not get me wrong. The game will hardly ever see another player like Stephen Curry. Right now, the closest to it is Trey Young, and he's not even close. That just goes to say. Stephen Curry is easily one of the top five most impactful players to the sport of basketball. Look at what he's done to the game since he started shooting the way he does. Now you see it everywhere, even in youth basketball. That would have never happened without Stephen Curry. So I think he's on the Mount Rushmore of impactful players in the league. But I cannot put him in the top 10 all time because that would mean taking one of those 10 names off the list and even like 11, Larry Bird. He's not above Larry Bird. 12, Kevin Durant. He's not better than Kevin Durant. So he's definitely top 15 for me, but I just can't give him top t I can't even give him top 12. I just can't. If it weren't for his shooting or his championships, I don't even think he would be top 30. Obviously, his shooting and championships are him, but I think that people tend to blow his talent out of proportion. He's very, 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 very good at what he does. But just looking at 
scoring and assists. He's barely top 50 in scoring, and he's not even top 50 in assists. And he's been in the league a pretty long time. 2009, I think, is when he got drafted. Could be wrong. But I don't know. I love Curry. I love watching him. It's sensational. It's generational talent. It's something we may not see again. But I just can't give it to him. Simple as that. Now, please, now that I'm, I've gotten my bit out, I'm going to ask the question one more time. And I genuinely want my fans to reach out to me and tell me where you stand on this. The question is, does this last, this fourth championship and his first finals MVP make enough of an argument to put Stephen Curry top 10 all time? What do you think? Talk to me. I want to know. Moving on to probably the biggest story right now, the NBA draft. The first round started last night, and I just want to go over. I'm not going to list off all 30 picks. I want to list off my top 10 most important round one picks that were made, meaning the player fits the scheme of the team very well, or they offer something to a team that is in need of that. To start things off, number one, Jabari Smith, who was drafted third overall by the Houston Rockets. This one blew me, how he didn't go first. So overall, I think Houston gets a big steal here. They already have a pretty young, successful team. They did lose Christian Wood, which to me is a big deal. He's He was good. We had him in Detroit. He was good. And he got better when he went to Houston. Yes, they have Jalen Green, so we'll see if John Wall comes back in healthy. And then they got a huge steal in an offensive and defensive monster in Jabari Smith. To me, this is the best pick. They got a biggest steal in the draft. Next up, Paolo Boncaro to the Orlando Magic, who went first overall. Very similar to Jabari Smith. I think Jabari Smith is a little bit has the edge in terms of how good the player is. So I got to give the edge to Jabari Smith. But Paolo Boncaro, don't get it twisted, is very talented. Offensively, with his size, he's 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 incredible. He's a threat. And he's definitely league ready. And I think he fits pretty well into a team like Orlando that has a lot of young players. You know, Wendell Carter and Jalen Suggs and Markel Fultz. You know, they, they have a very young roster, and I think that adding youth and youth and youth, they just need a couple veterans in there, or even just one to really give them that veteran presence to lead these young guys in the right direction. So, I got Paolo Boncaro at second. Third best pick, man, Jaden Ivey to the Detroit Pistons. Yes, sir. I can't believe he fell down to five. I thought for sure he was going three or four. And he went, he didn't get picked until fifth. Pistons got a major steal in this guy. I think he's incredibly talented. And I think he fits really well into the scheme. You look at what the holes are on the roster right now for the Pistons, the two position was definitely one of them. Killian Hayes is a good bench player, and that's all he is to me. So I think this was a very important pick. And Jaden Ivey was looking forward to playing for a team like Detroit. He said it. He would, he would rather play for a team like Detroit. He pointed Detroit out because they give him the best opportunity to showcase his talent and grow the team together because I think we can all admit, when you physically do something yourself, you work towards something, 
it's that much more meaningful in the end. Simple as that. So huge pick by Detroit here. I think they got a major steal. Jaden Ivey, he's going to be great in my opinion. I hope it works out. So there we have it. Fourth, Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren is lethal. With his size and the shooting ability that he has, he's like a Kristaps Porzingis and Kevin Durant morphed together. I don't think he's quite as good of a shooter as KD, but I definitely think he gives off that Kristaps Porzingis vibe, seven-footer, shoots well, so on and so forth. I think the only problem, he can get physical, but I think it's going to come down to it. You match him up against players like Steven Adams and Giannis Antetokounmpo, they're going to outmuscle him as simple as that. So if they keep him at the four and make him a stretch, I think he'll work out well. I I don't know how well putting him in the paint's going to be, but we'll see how that goes over there in Oklahoma City. Number five, I got King Keegan Murray going to the Sacramento Kings. I thought this is who the Pistons were going to get. Either this guy or Benedict Mathurin. We'll go over him shortly. But Keegan Murray, he's talented, man. He's a good three. He's a good three. He's a good small forward. I think he fits the scheme well in Sacramento. You look at what they have versus what they need. They're lacking in the forward department. And he has a good good mentor in DeMontis Sabonis, who they got from Indiana this last season. I don't know if they got DeMontis playing the four or five. I'm pretty sure the five, especially after they got rid of Marvin Bagley. So um, I think he has a good mentor there. I think that should work out pretty well. Number six, Shaden Sharp. Going to Portland. I think that this show fix fix well. Obviously, Dame is a fantastic leader. He's been a leader in Portland for all these years, and he will continue to be a leader in Portland. But they just got the trade from Detroit. They acquired Jeremy Grant. I think that's pretty important because Jeremy Grant, he's not a veteran, but he's been in the league for a bit. He was on the Nuggets. They were a good team. He was Arguably the best player on the Pistons for a couple years. So he has knowledge of the game, and I think he can offer that, especially to a guy like Shadon Sharp, who succeeded in Kentucky. So I think that's a pretty good pickup for Portland. Number seven, I got Benedict Mathurin going to Indiana Pacers. I like this. I do like this move because he's a very physical guard. I think he plays a lot like, somewhat like Russell Westbrook, but a little bit of a better shooter. Thinking about who Indiana has, you have Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner. They're a pretty successful team, and they could be playoff-worthy given the right opportunity and scheme. It was a shame that they lost somebody like DeMontis Sabonis, who was so big and crucial part of their team. But to gain a young talent like Benedict Mathurin, I think he'll fit in pretty well. Number eight, I have Dyson Daniels, the first G League player selected out of the draft, going to the New Orleans Pelicans. I put this one up this high because you look at the situation he's put in. He's put into a team that was a playoff team without arguably their best player. Zion Williamson did not play last year. When healthy, he's one of their best players, if not their best player. And then you add a young talent like Dyson Daniels into that, who's going to have good mentorship from the players there. You got CJ McCollum, you got Zion, you got Jackson Hayes, you got... Josh Hart, some players been in the league for a while, some who haven't, some are decent, some are not, some are, but they all have knowledge of the game to offer the kid, and obviously, like I said, they were a playoff team without Zion, so I think that they'll do just fine. At number nine, I have Johnny Davis, the guard out of Wisconsin, going to the Washington Wizards. 
I think it's less about the situation that he's in and more about what he can offer the team. Obviously, Washington has been struggling pretty much since they lost John Wall. They were never really a contender, but once John Wall left Washington after the injury, I feel like Washington has never been the same. So I think that hopefully for them, this could be the shine on a new light, and we'll see how it turns out over there. That's really all I got to say for that. I think that they just... It's more about what he can bring to the table for Washington. And then lastly, uh, Osman Diang. I so apologize if that name is butchered. But went to Oklahoma City. I think this is nice. I think this is nice. Because you look at what OKC already has. They got Chet Holmgren. That's a good four position. They got Shy Gilgis. He's been playing well. He's the one. And... Now they got another forward, Ousmane Dang, out of, I think he was on a New Zealand team, but he was from a France league or something along those lines. He's talented. This kid's really good. And I think some of you need to look more into his highlights if you don't, if you haven't seen him, but he's a very unique talent. And I think hopefully just based on their draft picks and some of their success last year, okay, see, may or may not have a bright future. So that's just the way it looks right there. My honorable mention of tonight is actually another Pistons player, Jalen Duran, was selected of the 13th overall pick. Pistons traded up with Charlotte to get the pick. I think this is a really big deal. Jalen Duran is a powerhouse. Anybody that follows me on TikTok know that I picked Memphis before the season started as my sleeper team because of Jalen Duran and Imani Bates. Unfortunately, it didn't work with Imani Bates, but it did work with Jalen Duran. Dude's a paint beast. He's good, he's strong, he's powerful, and he's physical. And that's exactly what Detroit needs. They just got Bagley. They have Isaiah Stewart. I, it looked like they might be acquiring DeAndre Ayton. It's potential. It's not guaranteed yet. It's possible. So we'll see how that goes. But I think this pick by Detroit is great. I don't think it's quite enough to crack the top 10. But I do think that this is a very important pick for the Detroit Pistons. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the moment I have been waiting for. It is time to present to you the new segment idea and concept I'm going to be following starting now. Every episode from now on, at the very end of the episode, right before I wrap things up, I'm going to do something new, and I'm going to call it the fast break. I'm going to introduce anywhere between four to ten-ish topics that aren't really worthy of a five, ten-minute segment, but... I want to make sure I share with you guys so that you guys are like, oh, okay, I didn't know that. That's cool. Or, okay, that's good to know. General sports information that doesn't deserve a story. So, without further ado, this week's Fast Break. Brooks Kepka will be joining Phil Mickelson and other big-name golfers in the LIV golfing events. Looking at the NFL, all 32 teams have officially released their 53-man rosters. Go check it out if you want to. Looking at the MLB, the Yankees are off to a historic start. Only two other Yankees teams in history reached 50 wins quicker than this year's 2022 squad. The Braves and Yankees have been hot, hot, hot lately. Looking at those win streaks, racking up almost 20 wins and not even five losses in this last stretch of games. 
University of Southern California is bringing Carson Palmer's number three jersey out of retirement and giving it to Pittsburgh transfer Jordan Addison. This week, Bradley Beal declined his player option and he's potentially looking at teams like Dallas, Boston, and Cleveland. The number one high school recruit in the country, nephew of Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, Archie Manning has officially committed to the University of Texas to continue his football career in college. And lastly, looking at the NHL, Austin Matthews joined a select few this week as he was not only awarded the Hart Trophy, which is the NHL's MVP award, but also the Ted Lindsay Award, which is the Most Outstanding Player Award. And ladies and gentlemen, that about wraps it up for this week's Fast Break and the episode in general. A bit of a longer episode. I'm very excited. I enjoyed writing this content all week long and putting something together for you. And I'm very excited to dish it out to you guys and see what your thoughts are, how you feel, and where you're thinking we can go right or wrong or what's going good or bad. Please, feedback, feedback, feedback. I love it. I need it. I gotta have it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode 30 of the Box Score Sports Podcast. Looking forward to great content next week. Share the love on social media. Spread it. I will see you guys next week for episode 31. Peace out.